Thanks. Welcome, everybody. Um, all of you that are in the chat already or on, on this, this muted call, if I could just ask for everyone to remain muted. Um, someone has unmuted themselves. Nope, they've muted themselves now. It's fine. Um, if I could ask for everyone apart from uh, my lovely, lovely guests to remain muted uh, for the duration of this call, uh, because this will be recorded for legal purposes. So it's very, very important uh, that you follow those <laughs> guidelines. Um, I am, of course, delighted uh, to be joined tonight by the inimitable and wonderful and beautiful hosts of I Spit on Your Grades podcast for this live iteration of said podcast. Um, so if we introduce them one by one, they've actually each rolled out an, a red carpet that I mailed to them. They should have had it in the post. Um, I did tell them some instructions to do a little walk, a little dance routine, and to say what world peace means to them. Um, so, without further ado, um, <laughs> yeah, we are joined tonight by Spit Grace Podcast, by Faye. Oh. That's oh, her. That was manic. Sorry, that was so manic. <laughs> Bye, Chris. Hello. Who's on break from his call centre job right now. Um, he's got his headset in place. <laughs> yeah, if any calls come through, I might have to just dash, disappear. He's data mining you right now. And of course, we are joined, well, sadly, by Mercer. Oh, thank you so much for the warm, warm um, introduction, Mitch. Bonjour! So welcome, you guys. Um, I personally am a massive fan of this podcast, so it means the world to get to bring you in as part of the festival and also play host to your first live podcast episode. Um, I know, I know, it's years in the making. Um, maybe one of you guys could tell us a little bit about what Spit Grades is um, for those of for those people in the chat that might not have uh, listened before. Obviously, who the fuck are they? They should have listened. But please, what is I Spit on Your Grades? Um, I'll field this. I Spit on Your Grades is a podcast we do every other week where we pick our favourite subgenre within horror and we pit our choices against each other to decide who has the overall best taste in horror me obviously but i'm winning i just want to point that out there i am actually losing and i find that appalling because when we look at my choices they are fucking excellent and everybody knows it everybody when we look at your choices we see why you're losing <laughs> So, I Spit on Your Grades is an interactive podcast as well, of course, so everyone that listens to it each, uh, well, week one of each fortnight can then, of course, vote on their, either their favourite film or the film that they think was argued for best by each of you guys, and that will be happening as well today. Am I right in saying? Yes, this will, this will go out <laughs> as a normal standard episode on Tuesday, as always. We'll put the poll and bits and pieces up, as we always do, for the guys and girls to pick their favourite from our choices today. And when I win next week, I really appreciate their votes. You can find it on all good podcast providers. No, we're, avail we're available on most of them. We're available on Acast. We're available on Spotify, iTunes. Just Google us. You should be able to find us somewhere. And today we are here to talk about a new subject that we've not covered yet, which is road trip horror. Of course, it's the theme of our evening at Soho Horror Fest. Um, 
just very, very quickly, uh, what does road trip horror mean to you guys? Why do you think it, there, there's quite a lot of films to pick from in this um, with various degrees of road trip involved in them. Uh, but what do you think makes kind of being on the road so inherent in the horror genre? I think it's taking you out of your comfort zone. A lot of horror can like take place in your house, places you know. I think on the road, especially when you're on a road trip, you're not entirely sure where you're going. And I think it adds that extra level of vulnerability to it in that, I mean, with most of them, they're being out there stoked on the road, let's not lie. But you've got no one around you to help you. And I think it just elevates it a tad. I also think um, what's interesting is when because you're on the road, it almost feels like you should be able to escape the situation. Whereas like other horrors, when they're based in your house and stuff, it's very claustrophobic. It's very kind of like you're trapped in, a, in this environment that you can't get out of. But on the road, it feels like you should be able to, to find help and get away. And when you can't, it's, it kind of creates this kind of idea that you're really isolated within the world. And I think that's quite a scary thought in general. God, I'm so deep, sorry. <laughs> I think it's, as Mitch was saying as well, I think it's that wide range of stuff you can actually cover with road movie horror. I mean, let's face it, things, stuff like Deliverance, which we haven't picked, is essentially a road trip horror through the woods, a road trip of sorts. So you can go from that frenetic energy through to something like the battery and have that complete slowdown. But they still fall in that huge road trip genre, which is great. And we picked four quite different films as well i think this evening to show that speaking of it maybe we should just dive straight into those films i don't know if anyone wants to say anything else before we go straight into our first pick of the evening or are we good to go no, i'm ready to show my love for these films so let's deep dive let's <laughs> let's hit the accelerator then and let's go to our first feature film uh which i believe is monster nurses quite a few decent road trip horror movies out there but i've gone for my obvious favorite which is the 1986 the hitcher uh so it's directed by robert Harmon, and it stars rutger hauer in i believe probably his most incredible role to date um and then we've got like supporting cast i'm gonna call them even though they're quite <laughs> you know they are the leads but see thomas howell jennifer jason lee jennifer jason lee hopefully you've all seen the hitcher but if you haven't just a brief synopsis it's you know a tale as old as time it's the story of a young driver who picks up a hitchhiker hitchhiker turns out to be a crazy serial killer young driver escapes from Hitchhiker. Hitchhiker goes, actually, no, I'm going to ruin your effing life and I'm going to hunt you down and I'm going to destroy you, basically, and everyone around you. And that's, that's what happens. And it's a beautiful, beautiful story, in my opinion. Not to cut you off quick to begin with, Mercer, but I think you've got Rutger Hauer selling Carlsberg as the best role of his career. Can we mute him, please? <laughs> <laughs> All, all bad takes will be muted from here on. Uh, 
Mercy, you touched on something really interesting there, which is just kind of how simple this film is, um, which is like not even to undersell it, but I think it's one of the things that makes it kind of so scary. It's like, it's almost the same reason why The Strangers is so inherently terrifying, is there's almost kind of like no motive, no setup. It just is like the most boiled down uh, stalk and slash you can get almost. What makes it a bit weirder as well, sorry to cut you off, Mercer, is that his motive in this it's, it's not explained for a start and it's just the weirdest it's the weirdest concept for a serial killer to have in that you want somebody else to kill you exactly so for me like watching the film one of the things that i can't work out is the the relationship between um john and jay so rutger and c i'm calling him c because that's really cool and that's his first name. <laughs> uh, but it's this there's this weird relationship where I can't make it out because it's almost like this like I feel like there's like this sense of homoeroticism around it. Um but then I also get this kind of like mentor mentee relationship, like Rutgers trying to show this guy, you know, it doesn't matter who you are, like ultimately you're just like me, and you're gonna, you know, everyone's capable of murder, which is what we get in the end, um, jumping right to the end of the film. Um, but even throughout the film, everything that Rutger does is sets, everything's a conscious decision. Nothing happens by accident. And it's all a big, like, he's a genius, this man. He's a fucking crazed killer, but he's a genius. Everything he does is, like, specifically planned to put um, John in these, not John, Jay in these situations and, like, get him arrested but then getting him out of it by killing everyone. Yeah. Like, everything he does is just his plan. So you don't know whether it's like, like I said, like, does he does he love him? And he's like, this is like some weird kind of love relationship or is he kind of just teaching him, you know, I, I, I'm in control and I can teach you how to do what it's, I do. It's, it's more like, it's more like some kind of toxic, abusive relationship though. Now, mm. if you looked at it, in today's stand, you go, okay, well, he clearly has this weird feeling for him, but at the same time, running through this whole kind of power trip, oh, look, look at the state I put you in. Oh, I've managed to save you from it. Look, and I put you in another one. And again, I'm the one who's actually rescued you from it. You need me, you need me so much. Honestly, it's weird in the same way that when you're saying about someone who actually wants to be killed by someone else, it's like we've gone to death by cop. It's like we've lit. This film seems to be literally ahead of its time. We're just ticking off various bits and pieces of modern psychology. I completely agree. Yeah, I'm. I like kind of Mercer said. Obviously, I too do love a good old uh, a good gay subtext, and I think it's kind of inherent between Jim and John um, because kind of like Jim unquestionably wants to see John stopped. Um, yet there's this kind of like unspoken connection between them that just makes the storyline go on and on and on. And yeah, like Chris was saying, it's it's kind of like a metaphor for an abusive or a sadomasochistic relationship. Um, there's as much hate there as there is love. And it's that really interesting uh, play between the two, I think that creates the film's tension. Yeah, agreed. I mean, I, I've got to say, Mercer said to me earlier that he noticed this homoeroticism I didn't pick up on it at all to be honest I just thought it was crazy um but <laughs> I did just thought they were nuts but um like you said the cat and mouse between them it, and 
explaining it like that, yeah, that absolutely does add to the tension. Yeah, I'd agree. My favourite part of eroticism is in the jail cell when he gets arrested and he's laying there. He's look, yeah, without going caged heat on the on this. When he's laying there dreaming of Rutger and he's got that weird kind of slightly aroused smile playing across his lips as he's remembering him. It's a really odd, unsettling kind of mood moment there. As so he's looking at this killer and he's. There's no way he's looking when he's dreaming of him. He's not dreaming and showing fear or disgust. He's showing genuinely attraction at that point when he's dreaming about Rutgauer. I think throughout the film as well, actually, just like when he's when he's not dreaming, just the real kind of interactions between them. It's really confusing, and it's almost like you know, for those who have questioned their sexuality, like that confusion of is this person really bad? Like when um. When he first escapes from him and he ends up chasing after him and then kids get killed, that's a really good explanation of what's just happened. <laughs> <laughs> he ends up in that like old abandoned, so um, Jay ends up, Jim ends up in that old abandoned kind of garage and um, John comes in and kind of like throws his keys at him. And there's just this weird kind of like confusion like from Jim as to like what's actually happening here. And and again, that just for me leads into that kind of subtext of like questioning who you are and what you are, like whether that be like your sexuality or whether it's questioning your you know your your morality. Which um, Jim Jim really doesn't question his morality that much. I don't think he's quite quick to like kill someone when it comes down to it. And I know he's been through a bit of a. Do bit you of a think? Like, yes. no, have you, like, have you, what he's been through, mate. Like, it's no wonder he's going out to kill somebody. I it's, would. It's a little bit for legal reasons. A little bit of a journey that he's been through. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, I'll tell you, who is literally deserving to kill someone. That poor fucker who's waiting for his car in California. <laughs> he's sitting there going, right, my ride should be here any day now. Turns up looking like it through through fucking stock car. He's not getting a deposit. He's back, a real, he's a, he's a real victim of this thing. Yeah. yeah, I agree with you, Chris, actually. The film is basically about that man and the trouble and strife that he's gonna go through once he finds out his car's been totaled. Have you ever uh, tried to claim against an insurance company for a car wrecked in a cross-country chase? No, no, you haven't. <laughs> I'm gonna sorry, Mercer. I'm gonna say I'll tell you what I am confused about in the film. There were a lot of things that confused me until it led to the end, as we've discussed. But why Jennifer Jason Lee is so quick to go with him? She's just so willing to get on board with him straight away and just run off with someone who supposedly could be a serial killer. I think she gives the explanation, doesn't she, about almost being trapped in in this town um, and. You know, this is something exciting, something she's never been through before. And I think the fact that, you know, he spent some time with her and he didn't kill her and he's supposed to be really ruthless. Like, you know, I think she's got an idea that he's not a serial killer. Plus, sometimes you just have to trust your gut fear. Do you know what I mean? And this, I think... is what, this is what's got you in a lot of bad nights, Mercer, trusting your gut. Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I've never been tied to trucks. And um, stretched. But Jennifer, <laughs> um, um, stop it! Stop it! I have never been stretched. 
<laughs> this is a smut you came for, people. Right. And this, um, is, this is the part that would usually be edited out. So well done, everyone, for getting to listen to this. I have just censored myself big style. I hope you will know that. Just, just we went for you. That was for you there. That we Thank you. But back to Jennifer Jason Lee because I just want to say, just in general about Jennifer Jason Lee, she is so fucking cool. Mm. Don't you think she's got this like understated coolness? And even though she's pretty much exactly the same in every film, she's just so cool that it doesn't matter. I love her. I think she's so underrated. And I was absolutely devastated at the um, at the truck scene where he smashes her in our when he when he takes <laughs> her out back, when he takes her out back and splits her in two. <laughs> she's really cool in this film. Like she's just got that understated coolness, and I get why she goes with him. I think she just wants to escape her life. Mm-hmm. Obviously, she didn't expect to be in a high speed motorway. Is it called a motorway? What are they called in America? Highway, highway, highway. A high-speed highway chase with a helicopter <laughs> shooting at them. Can we just talk about the fucking helicopter for a second? No, one bullet does not take a helicopter down. I mean, I, I'm no, I'm no like pilot or something, but I know this, right? One bullet, <laughs> I like like that being. <laughs> as as it, not a fully trained pilot, I feel this is. But it wouldn't, would it? One bullet wouldn't take it down. And I'm sorry, there's no way that car would have been running by the amount of crap that got blown off it. And that one shot that just blew off the door, mm, not buying that. See, the one, the one that irritates, well, not irritates me, the one that perplexes me, when they first go to the diner and he meets her, is she just opening up when he gets there? Yes. Is she Right. How has she got vats and the grill top on and hot within five minutes to cook a burger and chips. We've all worked in the restaurant trade. That's at least half hour to warm up. That's the biggest issue with this film. That is true. Also, question. Why did, like, the finger in the chips, why did no one notice that? Because, like, he looks at them chips for a long time before he starts eating. And then he does this, there's this obvious conscious effort never to look back down as he's going for his food. But like, how did he not notice a finger? I thought it was imagination. I thought it was him cracking up. No, no, it's an actual finger, I'm sure. Okay. Oh, I think it's an actual finger. (laughs) Um, And I guess just a cheeky little limp back to um, previous episodes, it proves that not everybody is up for a cheeky little finger fair. Like like you would. I stand corrected. <laughs> so, but yeah, I think it's um, it's kind of cool. I do, I do agree with you with the shooting down the helicopter, and I do also wonder how Rutger Hauer manages to appear out of nowhere quite frequently. Um, yeah, driving down a, a motorway, we see the entire motorway in emptiness, so then he's just there at the side of it. You're like, okay, cool. Also, how he manages to take down an entire police force. Um, is quite impressive. And I love this film, remember? And I've chosen it to win. But it still leaves many questions. Like, how do you kill an entire police force? I mean, there's a lot you have to suspend disbelief with with this film, is there not? And I loved it, by the way. I, I think I've not watched it since 
I was way young and it surprised me just how good it actually was. Um, and it's something I've put off revisiting, obviously, since my youth, because I thought it weren't that great. It's probably one of these films. I tell you what I did. I thought I had um, like a bit of a, oh, my childhood unlocked moment because I used to have this thing where I was scared about pennies on eyes. It used to freak me out when I was a kid, like, don't let put pennies on my eyes. I screamed in a nightmare as my mum cried. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> and I always thought it were from, um, oh gosh, what is it? The exploitation, Waking Fright. I always thought it from like Waking Fright or a Clint Eastwood film, but he puts the pennies on his eyes in this diner and I'm wondering, did I get it from that? Is this what started it all? Might I have like, been. I like the fact he's got so much control over him that he just sits there and just takes that, doesn't even doesn't even react. He's just like, no, I will just allow this to happen. It, it, it's such a, a true exertion of power. And it's like he knows like he's got complete control over this poor young boy who's just trying to deliver a car. Bless him. I guess then, ultimately, I'm around it up because I feel like I need to before we, we go crazy. Um, so The Hitcher, I think, first of all, it's a fantastic film. Its pacing is fabulous. It don't really give up. It's, it's got probably one of my favourite performances ever from Rutger Hauer. Uh, and I don't just mean favourite performance from Rutger Hauer, but famous, like, villain performance ever. It is just, like, the way the way he delivers these, like, lines, he's so calm and cool and collected. Like, when he, you know, when he tells John, Jim, right at the start, I'm going to kill you. And you're just like, you sick bastard. It's just amazing. Um, even little Mr. C does a fantastic job as, uh, let's face it, quite a whiner victim. Um, but he does come through. Um, it's got a fantastic score, fantastic performances, a fantastic ending. The Hitcher is fantastic. It's a true road trip horror movie. Just going to throw that in there. And, um, and it deserves your votes to win and I will not stand by idly and let this lose that's a threat it's not really a threat because there's nothing I can do to any one of you but you know inside you know that like you'll have broken my heart and that's 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 threat enough and and maybe do let's take this point just to remind people how they could vote for these films for each of these four films by sending me money to my PayPal account. No, not really. <laughs> not really. We normally put out a Twitter poll um, every other week on where you can vote. Um, and we put out little clues as well. We put them out just for Mitch, more so than anybody these days, because we're not sure anyone has ever really been able to guess the kaleidoscope guesses bar Mitch, because they are pretty difficult, Chris. Um, so yeah, we, we do that every other week. So get on Twitter. I don't think, do we put it up on Facebook? I don't go on Facebook put, that we, much. We put it up on Facebook, we put it up on Twitter. So the poll mainly will people will respond via the Twitter poll, but we'll count the votes if you want to post on the thread and the bits and pieces we put on Facebook as well, and also on Instagram as well, which Mercer thankfully is the only one of us who still maintains that <laughs> she puts anything <laughs> up on there. <laughs> Bless. And it's very up to date. 
So maybe we should move on to our next film, which I believe is in the more than capable hands of Miss Faye Ellis. It is indeed. Uh, my choice for road horror movie is 2001's Joyride or Roadkill, whichever title you want to go with. Um, it's such a fun film and I, this was my instant pick and I asked everybody else if I could have this pick beforehand because I know everybody else would want it because it is an amazing film. Um, it stars Steve Zahn, Paul Walker, Lily Sobieski and the voice of Ted Levine and it's basically, if you haven't seen it, um, Paul Walker plays a guy called Lewis who is taking a trip from Colorado to New York to pick up Lily Sobieski Venner, uh, because he quite fancies her. But on the way, he finds out that his brother's been released from prison. So he drops by, picks him up, and he joins them on the road trip. Um, and then Fuller decides to get a CB radio and they start messing around. And they um, start messing around with this guy called Rusty Nail, pretending they're going to meet him. And it all spirals out of control. And the prank goes horribly wrong to the point where Rusty Nail is following them on the road and stalking them basically, in quite a bad way. Um, it's so much fun, this film. It is, it's a true road horror for me in that it's got everything. It's got like the fun of having that CB radio. You know, you're taking your friends along with you, you're stopping in motels. It's just a really, really fun film. And I'd, I'd, I'm, I'm planning because I don't know what else to say about it. <laughs> I'll throw something straight in off the bat. Is that anyone anyone would rather have a beer with more than Steve Zahn just for a no. night out? I no. love Steve Zahn. He's hilarious. There is no film that is not improved by his addition to it. And he's just as good in this. He's just as funny. It's, it's just got a really likable personality and he, it shows through in all of his roles that he plays. What's that, Mesa? Hang on. Let's take a step back. So... Steve Zahn is fantastic. Fuller is a complete dick. In fact, yeah. the only reason these are in this situation is because Fuller is a wank stain who pushes <laughs> his brother to just bully someone through a CB radio. It's I just mean, a laugh. It's only a joke. <laughs> it is. It is. You're right. and, and we condone that, everybody. We condone bullying people that you can't see. I'm not condoning that, obviously. <laughs> if, you take, if you take one message away from this episode, that's the one. You're just trying to twist it so my choice loses because you know that my choice is the best, so I don't even know why you're doing that. But anyway, the <laughs> thing about the thing about Joyride is, which I'm, I don't believe the, any of the other picks have, is it's got humour injected in it as well. Well, at the point where he tells them to strip naked and go into the diner and order six cheeseburgers each. You don't have that kind of humour in any of the other films that we picked, I don't think. And Fuller and Lewis together, I think they make a great pairing as brothers. I think they're fantastic. Oh my God, the bar as well. I'm just talking about the humour again. But the bit in the bar where they go in and they're telling Venner to shut up, it's like, shut your bitch up. He's like, you shouting again, bitch! And like drags her back and out and... I I love it. It's great. Right you before Steve's, <laughs> right before Fuller tries to shag the uh, love interest of his brother. That's well, like Mercer says, is a dickhead. He is a dickhead, but he's a lovable dickhead. We like a lovable dickhead, don't we? We do, and we are glad that he doesn't die at the end. Yes. Oh, we should say spoiler warning for all of these films, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
it's a shame that I think they did that they didn't get to use Ted Levine, Levine, however you want to say it, as actual Rusty Nail. Like they only used his voice, and he's actually uncredited as well. It had, it says uncredited on the IMDb listing, but I think he, because of his past in horror, I think he should have absolutely played that himself and not got somebody else to play it. But how great is his voice alone? So great. That, that's Candy cane. I was impressed that we made it this far without someone doing candy cane. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should all do candy cane one at a time. Okay. And then have a battle for candy canes. Oh. Go on then, Mitch, you start. Well, you start. Start this Mexican with Candy cane. Candy cane. That's right. That's how you do it. Go on, Mercer. Um, I've just got such a delicate, sensitive voice. I don't think it's horror. Um, candy cane. Nice. Nice. I've just put myself on. I'm sorry. Chris has been waiting for this moment. I'll mess it up now. I'll go. Go squeaky. Candy cane. Oh my god, I live with that. So three, I live, I live with that serial killer. Three very good impressions, and then Louis Armstrong from Fayette. Fuck now, bringing back jazz in Louise. <laughs> fresh from Sheffield. I want you to go order six burgers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I did actually get really excited about this because I thought Ted Levine picks characters that have. What was it? Illiteration? Is that the word? Iteration? Alliteration, yes. Thank you. So, and I thought it was called Candy Cane. I'm like, oh, it's Candy Cane. It's Big Bob from Hills Have Eyes and it's Buffalo Bill. He loves it. But it turns out, no, it's not called Candy Cane. It's called Rusty Nail. So I got that wrong. But I think him him as a tormenting force is so terrifying. Mm -hmm. It really is. And again, as we were saying before, the concept of road horror being out there and being in the unknown mm-hmm. i think with the hitcher you can see rutger Hauer and you can see what's happening but this guy's with them all the time there's like no escaping him at all like to hear him is just terrifying and what? oh my god that what? scene in the cornfield as well mm-hmm. is just ridiculously scary well that's the thing unlike unlike rutger Hauer, where you where you see him and you think of him as a psycho straight from the get-go rusty nail this only kicks this kicks off with just a random event with him getting into an argument with that big guy at the first motel. If obviously we don't we know obviously the uh, Rusty now has clearly got a few men a few problems to do what he does. But this could have all been avoided. This is literally he's gone in there and got an argument and he's just killed someone just out of sheer rage rather than a psychotic tendency to need to go around hunting people down. We don't get shown that that's a pattern. We don't get shown that he's actually going out targeting and killing people willy-nilly as he travels across the America. Yeah. And do you think as well, if they'd just apologised, this would have all stopped? I think they would. I think if, they, if they'd if they apologised the second time, or the, fir- the obviously they do it the first time, they ask him what, that first opportunity gives them to apologise when Fuller starts mouthing off at him. I think if they'd apologised there, that could have been avoided and that's the whole thing with this film everything they do and have come into them is on their own head it's all completely their own fault yeah 
No, it's yeah. it's like the anti-American Pie movie, isn't it? It's it, it takes kind of the view of the antagonist where what would usually be like hijinks in like a teen comedy from like the, the early 2000s that would just be a punchline. In this, it takes the punchline and then runs it with revenge. Um, so like the person that would usually be just the butt of a joke in this actually gets their own back. Mm. I kind of love that. Do you, yeah. I, don't know, I don't know about anyone else, but like, um, and, and, and also to say that as well, is this not like the first catfish movie? <laughs> um, <laughs> no. Could be, I right. guess. Yeah. <laughs> it's very much similar, isn't it? But what I was yeah. going to say, does anyone else kind of really, really feel for Rusty Nail and almost root for him a little bit? On rewatch, so I'd do. I'd, yeah. <laughs> Completely, he's completely the part he's done wrong by. Mercer looks really excited to say something like he's going to burst. Not actually that important. (laughs) Thanks for interrupting there. I had a thought, and 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 if I don't express it, then it's gone forever. Um, No, I I do feel sorry for Rusty Nail because they obviously did push him. Um, and 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 catfish him and you know take the piss out of him basically, but I don't believe that this that the way Rusty Nail acts or has acted is purely an act of revenge. I believe this is something that he probably does quite frequently. So I don't believe he's just responding. Obviously, he's responding to them and treating them in a different way. But I don't think that his character isn't a serial killer anyway. Well, that's that's explained at the end when he's talking about the rain washing everything away. He he knows what he's doing. He knows that it's all just going to be swept under carpet and he's got ways of getting away to do it. So absolutely, this isn't his first time. It won't be his last. But he, knows how, he knows how to rip a jaw off for Christ's sake and how to make somebody unidentifiable. That took a long time to get out, didn't it? Unidentifiable. <laughs> and, how the blue, and how the blue Peter Kling film a shotgun to the door. <laughs> I mean, props for effort on that. And I'm pretty creative, and I don't think I'd have thought of sellotape to make a gun go off. Anthea Turner could only make fun, only make Tracy Island. That's nothing compared to. We we don't talk about Anthea Turner. She's cancelled. We don't talk about her. But um, that poor that poor hotel. I hope they've got insurance because. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? It just it wrecks it, man. It drives a freaking truck through it. That's the real victim. <laughs> it just is. More business owners is absolutely the downfall of this film. We're seeing a lot of hidden meanings in these films, a lot of hidden victims that we never knew. <laughs> yes. And fair so before you sum up, because I feel like obviously full as that is Jill, Paul Walker's Paul Walker. We all know he's gonna do a, a, a standard job. Lily Sobrieska, however you pronounce her. Do we not think, is this just me? So I watched this and I've obviously watched the HR and I just thought to myself, oh, she's also too, like a like a young Jennifer Jason Lee. Like she's got this kind of effortlessness about her that just makes you kind of go, I want to be your friend. I was going to say something disgusting, but I stopped myself because it wouldn't even work because I'm a gay boy. But... <laughs> um, I just I, I want to remind everyone that you are watching Spit Grades podcast and not the Jennifer Jason Lee podcast here. 
No, Mercer is the short answer to that, if I'm honest. I, I love Lily Sobieski. I really do. Also, however you pronounce her name, my apologies. Um, I love her, and I've loved her since 90s. However, as time goes on, she always does play quite basic characters, and I don't think that that's spectacular. I know that's horrible to say, but... I, be fair, I, the script... It's it's not her fault here. The script doesn't give her a lot to do. I've just, I've just got to say, I'm looking at other pictures here, and I've just seen Canel just go, nah, man, nah. That's what that's what it looked like at least. So I'm I'm sorry if I offended you. You know, I didn't mean to. But go back and watch your catalogue, mate. Honestly, you'll see what I'm seeing. What I would say though, Faye, is we've just did a perfect, uh, you know, your explanation of Lily Sobrieski and her performances perfectly sums up why people shouldn't vote for Roadkill. Just saying. <laughs> Hey, would you like to do your closing statement on why Roadkill or Joyride is your favourite road horror? I would, thank you. Uh, to summarise, it, it might not seem like we've gone as in-depth with Roadkill or Joyride as we did with The Hitcher, but that's just because it's a fun film. It is the funnest out of the lot. You'll see as it goes along, it gets quite depressing, but it, it's, it's more to sit down and turn your brain off for an hour and a half and just watch Steve Zahn be Steve Zahn, Paul Walker be Paul Walker and listen to the best, one of the best voices in horror, Ted Levine. And that is why I think you should choose Joyride or Roadkill as your favorite road horror. Boom. Which I guess would bring me to my choice, my favourite road horror film. Um, and Faye, you're saying yours is the most fun. And I, I, I personally think mine is the most fun and joyful and free-spirited <laughs> film. Because what, right. what, what, what other film features top secret climb business, Groucho Marx, um, Tommy Pickle from the Rugrats, orgasming, uh, chicken fuckers, and the greatest needle drop Music finale ever put to film. What 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 could, what film could this possibly? Be? My choice is road trip horror film. White chicks. <laughs> My choice for the best road trip horror film is the Southern Fried Junkyard Carnival Sleaze and a modern classic, in my opinion, that is Rob Zombie's 2005 The Devil's Rejects. Um, I think this one is kind of equally hated and loved among horror fans. Uh, but for me, anyway, it's like by far Rob Zombie's best film, one of the best grindhouse films of the last 20 years, one of the best sequels, uh, especially when we look at kind of like sequels as a way to reframe and evolve on the predecessor. Um, and the best example of just pure, unrepentant, nihilistic, Bush era American horror. I absolutely love The Devil's Rejects. Uh, of course, Devil's Rejects is a sequel to House of a Thousand Corpses. Um, and whereas like House of a Thousand Corpses is kind of like a fairground ride, it's all like flashing lights and, uh, and candy floss and goofy fun in the dark, Devil's Rejects is like a terrorist attack at Alton Towers. It's just, <laughs> it's just nihilism and grit and gruel and I love it. Um, I'll do a little plot synopsis uh, for those of you that are not familiar. So The Devil's Rejects follows uh, the story of the Firefly family, uh, which were kind of antagonists in um, House of Thousand Corpses, now turned anti-heroes, I guess you could argue. They're kind of the, the primary focus of this film. And we open in 1978 
where uh, Sheriff John Quincy Wydell and his trooper state troopers have kind of descended upon the Firefly Ranch uh, to wreak havoc and revenge and justice following not only the Halloween sacrifice and kind of the act that um, was the, the main focus in House of a Thousand Corpses, uh, but also the, the kind of the 75 other murders that they've been hooked onto. Uh, and what happens, uh, and obviously Wydell's brother got killed in the previous film as well, to make it super personal. Uh, a firefight ensues, resulting in Otis and Baby from the Firefly family uh, having to escape through some tunnels and Mother Firefly gets captured by the police. Um, Otis and Baby kind of go to a hotel, um, hole up there and take a band hostage and uh, kind of contrary to that, Officer Wydell takes Mother Firefly hostage and tortures her a little bit. Um, we, we, and, uh, and then he, he gets distracted by what I can only presume is Officer Doofy from the Scary Movie series, because he looks so much like him. Like seriously, go back. <laughs> I, I, I haven't had time actually to check if it was the same actor. Uh, I was just looking at my notes now and I was like, I did write Officer Doofus really fucking big. Why did I do that? <laughs> um, so maybe someone could do that for us in, in the chat and confirm it. Um, and, and then like the Firefly family uh, has a really, really horrible, grueling uh, kind of Manson family-esque scene in the hotel with um, the three nippled fortune teller from Morat. <laughs> Should be a selling point to everyone if this film is the best. Um, and they kind of leave the, the hotel and they go to a brothel that is ran by Tommy Pickles from Rugrats. I can't believe that, man. I, I know I did in my notes, but it's if Tommy Pickles is in Devil's Rejects. It's the biggest cameo of the 21st century. That is the crossover. It's not fucking Marvel and X-Men. No. <laughs> that is the crossover we've all been waiting for. But um, yeah, so they go to this, they go to this brothel that's run by Tommy Pickles. Um, and Ken Foray, who's like the pimp, but he betrays them um, to Officer Wydell, and then he captures them and takes them back to their farm and then tortures them. Um, Cause he's kind of, Wydell has been like driven mad by grief of his brother or just because he's a police officer working in America um, and has gone insane and like revels in torture and beating. Um, and then he lets baby go and then baby gets uh, saved by her brother who just shows up apparently, uh, <laughs> by Tiny, who just, like, appears. Like, he's not even been in this film literally at all. Until Tiny we're... to the rescue. To be yeah. fair, Tiny has clearly... We see him as dragging that body across earlier. So it's clear he's been in the background somewhere, keeping track of where where they are. As I was saying now, when, it's not like they've had the cops with them the entire time, so I'm not exactly sure why he hasn't stuck his hand up and gone, hey, hey, I'm over here. He's just yeah, you know, your brother. He's been cooking like super needles in the house, just like wonder where everyone is. No, <laughs> but like you literally. But what I stand by what I say. You you literally don't see him. I get that you see the dead body being dragged, but you don't see him until the fight. No, he... Until literally, when he just shows up and he's like, "I'll save you, I guess," and then I'll walk into the fire, I guess. But yeah, beside that, um, and then we have what I think is probably the most iconic, incredible. It's self-indulgent, I guess. Um, endings in horror history with Ronnie's voice, Alistair, <laughs> Leonard Skinner. Sorry, I don't mean to stop you, but we, we've lost Mercer. He's managed to lock himself out. Can you let him back in? 
Uh, no, no, I can't. <laughs> uh, He's kicked him out. He's kicked him out. <laughs> In one of those brilliant, it only happens on the live shows. Mercer has managed to remove himself from the Zoom chat. Jackie Weaver has had her authority <laughs> on John Mercer. He has not read the standing orders. He has uh, not... Just while we're waiting for Mercer to come back in, um, Caitlin and Jason have said, yes, it is Dufay. So you're right. It is right. Dufay. Wow. Yeah. So from fucking a Henry Hoover to capturing one of the most infamous families in American history. I mean, what a glow up, right? I didn't notice it, mate, to be quite honest with you. you that fucking moustache. No one has that in real life. There's, there is a lot of 70s moustaches on show here, though. Really Absolutely. Is. There really is. There he is. Ray, he's back. back. Where did you go? I have no idea. I just went. It just, everything, everything went. Um, I'm back now, and I know exactly what you've been talking about. Good. I'm, I'm good. guessing, Mercer, the only reason you left was because you just love the Devil's Rejects so much. You had to take five, you know, bash one out in the bathroom, come back, refocused, ready to say how much you love about the Devil's Rejects, right? You know, you know. You've know. got it. Um, yeah, so, like, uh, I love, I fucking adore this film. I love it so I much. love it. It is, it's nasty, it's vile, it's gritty, it's amoral. Um, I, I, I get that you kind of can associate with characters because of how quotable they are, um, but there's no characters to genuinely like in the whole film. No, um, and even, 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 the, even the victims are trash. That's what I mean, like, yeah. yeah. There's, like, there's literally no one to root for, and I think that's what I like about the whole film in itself. Mm. Oh, there's there's something probably very wrong with me that I root for the sheriff throughout. Even, and there's so for me, there's something massively cathartic when he gets them at the end and he is torturing them. And there, there was just me, I was watching on my own the other day. And he was just me, me sitting there shouting, Yeah, stop another nail for his face. Kill him. You see, <laughs> I, I walked in at the end while Chris was watching it and I said, Yeah, but don't, don't you kind of feel for the family as well? He's like, No. I'm like, who's the bad guy? The family or the sheriff? He's like, the family. I'm like, what? No, they're a, they're a product of the surroundings. They've been brought up this way. They don't know anything different. It's Amazing. easy. To, it's Definitely. easy to empathise with the sheriff though, because he's got clear reason for what he's doing. Yeah, but he's an arsehole. No, he's not. I, I love him. He's great. <laughs> I'm jumping in because I went missing for three minutes, and I've got a lot to say. I ain't got that much to say, but what I will say is. The family are white, they're, they're terrible, terrible people. Um, and you can't, you can't take their side, no matter what, because they're very, very terrible. The sheriff's a terrible, terrible person, but um, you understand where he's coming from. Also, the performance from William Forsyth as the sheriff is incredible. Probably the strongest in the film. And finally, Wendy. Why are we not all rooting for little old Wendy? We are husband's face mask on, who ends up getting run over. She's a bit of a cow too. She's stuck up. What has she, she done wrong? She does nothing wrong. No, she comes across as stuck up. I don't like her. When what? she's released though, and she has a mask over her face, is it a case of she can't see anything because that's over her face? That could be the only reason that she gets out and then just keeps running and running and running. Let me ask you a question. You've just watched me, 
Mitch, Manny, and someone else get killed, and then you have Faze, skinned face put over your face. My you favorite. don't, you take it off. You take it off straight away. Why wouldn't you just rip the thing off? Trauma, do you know what trauma is? Have you ever had trauma, Faye? I've had trauma. I once, I'm facing trauma now, I'm running out of wine, but like, you know, trauma does make you do silly things. Mate, like if I've got someone else's face on my face, I'm taking that shit off before I do absolutely anything else. It's no, not like it's sewn on. It's just oh, it's just a mask. But she's like Heather at the end of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. She's like broken down and is just doing anything she can to escape. She doesn't care about what she's wearing. Like like Otis could have put a fucking beret on her. She's not going to take time to readjust, time to readjust it in the mirror. The mirror. Like, she's wearing her face. It's fine. She's going to run. My favourite thing about that scene, though, is that the truck runs her over and doesn't stop. The truck <laughs> just drives the fuck off. They show a wide shot of, the of like, the highway, and there is no truck on the highway. If, you, so... if, you, if you've driven over a woman in the middle of the road in the middle of the day, you would not be stopping either. There's no way that's not being pinned on your... Your responsibility. You're like, no, you know what? I fuck it. I am just gonna drive and hope no one saw. And the thing is, as well, sometimes you can't tell with trucks. Like there was that truck in the UK, thing down M1. It basically pushed a car for miles and miles. It didn't know it got a car in front of it because it couldn't see. But the best thing I like about that scene is that blood trail because you don't often get that in a film. You'll have someone get hit. There'll be a tiny bit of blood. This was a fucking snail trail all the way down the road. I was impressed with that. The, the the entire scene from when she like when the maid finds her, I or when the maid enters the room, that's one of my favorite scenes in the entire film. Yeah, it's just really dark, but there's like there's supposed to be some hope there, and then it's just taken away immediately when she yeah. gets rid of. But I love when she's running, the maid's running away screaming, and she's running behind her with this fucking mask on, like yeah! it's and like I love it. One of my favorite scenes in film. The whole just, sorry, just to by the way, what I do love. I love Bill Mosley. Bill Mosley's absolutely brilliant in it. I love the the comedic flip away from the violence. In an alternative universe, I can see Will Forte playing that character. Absolutely. Yeah, I can see that. It'd have a lot more comedy in it, but I can definitely see it. I don't know if I'd say Bill Mosley's performance is exactly comedic. He has he has comedic he has comedic flips there, as I say. You can see this the way he delivers stuff is very comedy driven or delivered in a comedy beat kind of style. Well, it might not mean to be comedic. It sometimes reminds me of like a harmless uncle who's just a bit nuts. (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember remember Uncle David stabbed me in the face? Talking about Joseph Seventy-nine murders, harmless. Just know what I mean is he's got that kind of vibe about him. I think it reminds me a bit of my uncle Stephen, just this kind of chilled out, long haired, hippie kind of vibe. Yeah, but hey, obviously my if, uncle's not a killer. This, if this podcast gets included on a <laughs> documentary about Uncle Stephen and all of the crimes that he's committed, I don't, I, I'm not going to sign it off. I'm going to ask for royalties at least. I'll make sure you get those royalties, mate. Don't you worry. Yeah. When it all comes out, I'll make sure you get those royalties. It could be a four-part <laughs> Netflix. It could be a four-part Netflix documentary that only needs one part. Not that I'm saying anything. Cecil Cecil Hotel. Very topical. Very topical. <laughs> um, but to get back on this, because um, I th- like we've not even mentioned I, what I think is the best performance of the film, and I think it's the best 
performance of their career, which is Sid Haig as Captain Spaulding, who is super iconic in House of a Thousand Corpses, obviously, principally in the opening, but I think delivers like some of the best lines in horror history, like gen, like literally genuine horror history, uh, when he's uh, confronting like PJ Soul's son in the car and questioning him over uh, whether he thinks clowns are funny. I think he's so- Don't we make you fucking laugh? What, what do you- Aren't we what fucking you... funny? <laughs> what do you not like about clowns? I'll tell you what, I've got one right here, right now. Pedophiles. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I feel, uh, can I just say, um, just to peek behind the curtain, I feel quite bad for Matt Cook, who I literally just let in two seconds before shouting pedophiles. And oh, sorry, Matt. That was a really <laughs> interesting. <laughs> you know what? Matt Matt knows you. He knows what to expect from this sort of thing. So he's only got himself to blame. Sorry, Matt. <laughs> fully, fully. But I think Sid Haig is so, so, so good in this. Um, as just one of the what has now kind of been like this revolving carousel of B movie grind exploitation actors like Ken Foray mm. and um, Michael Berryman and obviously Sid Haig as well. Um, and but I think that this kind of even though not necessarily the first film to pull them all together acts as at least the best vessel for most of them. I, fi I find Sid Haig's character in this revolting. Yeah, in a good way. He, look, he looks dirty, like, oh, when they do that close-up for his teeth and it's just covered in brown. No. <laughs> <laughs> he, does have, he does have that great line when he waits to, oh, we're dreaming, oh, 50-50, you know, <laughs> shagging and then getting shot in the face, you know, some good, some, some good, some bad. Speaking <laughs> of getting shot in the face, that is that is the worst death for me as well. Like I said, I said I love, I admire this film for its nihilism, and like it's got a lot of fairly grisly endings for characters. Um, but I can't remember the name of him now. But is it Billy? Billy? The the, the name of like the the roadie who gets just gets dragged into the motel, and then yeah, a, Billy Billy Ray. Billy Ray, that's it. Yeah. It'd be fair shot in the head and just the reaction of the rest of the band to that I think is so uh, like absolutely visceral and horrible I think oh, sorry yeah it's not Billy Ray because that was the sorry that's one of the about one of the uh, one of the unsavables later on it's the, dude, who, yeah, it's the dude it's the dude from uh, Big, bang, Big Bang Theory oh, it, yeah, yes. yeah the, the big the big ginger dude the big dude although I would like to say talking about Billy Ray Diamond Alice Page added another list to the names of wrestlers who actually aren't bad actors in horror films. Well, did you know Chris Jericho was originally meant to be cast in this film as well? Huh? Yeah, yeah. I, did, I, I did see that. Obviously, I know Chris Jericho's done a few bits and pieces. But yeah, he's a talented man. But yeah, wrestlers, you know, in a performance-based art, you can actually get away with a decent performance out of them in a horror film back to the film back to the film itself um what I, you see i love devil's rejects and i don't get the hate for it at all i never have i think it's it's such a different feel from house of a thousand corpses and i love it i love that it just goes in a totally different direction but what i don't understand about it is when they're all captured at the end just how weak they go 
Like to say that these strong characters who do anything to survive, baby especially, baby just like breaks yes. down. And, and I'm like, but that's not that's not baby. That's not what she'd do. And that confuses me, that scene. I, it just don't really feel like it fits in with the rest of the film. You don't think maybe it's a commentary as to like because obviously it's 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 really really obvious that the the, the torture is being flipped on the original perpetrators mm. uh, so is it not a case of being like well no matter how strong any villain you've ever seen so how invincible jason or michael is when that gets turned on them um they become a victim as well it's the case of like any person it can can be a victim and can be tortured and bullied um i mentioned it in my intro but like i think this film is so much a response and a commentary on like kind of post 9-11, post Afghanistan and Iraq Bush era horror. So kind of like Hostel as well, where it's the case of being like anybody can be a victim and anybody can be a villain as well, especially because the fact like there's a police officer doing that torture. Um, and, it, and it like it strips away that fame from them because like even though you could say that Otis is super detestable because he, he's he is genuinely vile in this but he's also uh dare i say cool and quotable or at least uh empowering and iconic when he's like i'm doing the devil's work and then he shoots the guy in the head mm. um so to see kind of those characters stripped away it almost subverts the fetishization of yeah i get that yeah that makes sense yeah that's i mean like yeah. We, we, I think probably everyone here has watched that like um, Richard Ramirez documentary that was on and there was like that, that big focus on uh, uh, certainly uh, females in the 80s that really fetishized like serial killers and I think that is something that's happened quite a lot and there still is to, still to this day mate I mean that happened with um, making a murderer guy he got married in prison yeah. someone yeah. knew what it was about and married him so yeah. so it's, it's uh, like I'd, I'd maybe argue that Devil's Rejects is a flip of that. Like the ca the people that you worship and put on a pedestal of evil um, can be victims as well. And that's why I was saying like the film is absolutely nihilistic, no matter how iconic Baby might seem when she's sassing it up when slitting a boy's throat, she could also become uh, PJ Souls from Halloween. Mm. I love Sherry Moon Zombie so much. I love her. Yeah, I love her. I love Sherry Moon Zombie as much as Rob Zombie loves her ass crack. In short. Everywhere, it's on every. I, she's got a nice ass, all right. She has, but every single film doesn't call for it. I think it were in. Is it um? Oh, the Salem one. Loads of loads of Salem. Yeah. It's literally just filming her as she's asleep with her ass hanging out of her jeans. Like no one goes to sleep like that. That'd be, yes. turned, that'd, be it, that'd be when he turned. That'd be when he turned up in Pokemon was completely uncalled for. I feel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, her cameo in Boy in the Striped Pajamas was. <laughs> so we could go down a rabbit hole here. <laughs> um, so I will. I will. Unless anyone has anything to say on Devil's yeah. um, I have to say because again I went missing for three minutes. So, <laughs> First of all, um, Jerry Moon Jeremy Johnson. Jerry Moon Zombie is fabulous, but she's not very good at acting. Like every like when she's doing crazy, she is. When she's doing crazy, she's good. When she's doing um erratic, as in like panicked, she's 
She's not very good. Just so that other. Second of all, what is going on with this film? Like stylistically. Well, like, we just we, talked about it for the last 15 minutes. So if you don't know, we're not going to go back over it. I went missing dinner. No, but like the choices that Rob Zombie makes kind of throw me a little bit. So we get a lot of side swipe screens. We get a lot of montages. We get a lot of slowdown screens, freeze frames. It almost feels experimental. I think it's more a homage to like 70s. Yep. Like cop cop films and action films and stuff like that it's got that very it's got that gritty dry but somehow sweaty feel about it well that's all no that's all fab i love that because for me i I don't know what you call it but like i always got americana um that's my my take on it um like like gritty and stuff i I think it's great i just threw like you know i think we have one montage too many um, I, I think it's just to push that 70s feel about it, if I'm on it. That's that's how I feel with it. I feel it's just to heighten the feel of the time. Maybe my 70s movie watching isn't um, up to par, but thinking about the films that I have seen that are from like late 60s, 70s, running into the 80s, I don't really get that kind of feel from them. I don't think he's necessarily just like referencing horror, though. I no, think he's referencing films of the time. Yeah, it, it's grindhouse and exploitation. It's mm. exactly the same thing that Tarantino's been doing for the last fifteen years as well. Um, Which is another thing I wrote down. Sorry, just going to say that all that like that chicken fucker scene. I was like, um, was this wrote by Tarantino? Like, it felt very Tarantino-esque. Chicken fucker. <laughs> I'm not crazy. Are, are you saying I'm going to fuck a chicken? I'm going to cut his head off? Sit my dick down his neck and go, ah! <laughs> Not criticizing, just questioning. If any dialogue sequence can exist within Pulp Fiction, then I think it's only a merit to the film. So thank you, John. Um, to sum up my pick for the best road horror, I think uh, Devil's Rejects is like a grimy and gritty, yet obviously superly quotable uh, combo of like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 and Bonnie and Clyde. Uh, it's depraved, it's a sweaty hellscape. Uh, that eschews morals in favour of rage and nihilism. And if you don't vote for the Devil's Rejects, there will be no ice cream in your fucking future. Tootie <laughs> <laughs> fucking fruity. Tootie fucking fruity, indeed. Tootie freaking fruity, did you just say? Tootie fucking... I've had four cans at this point. I am... I can barely remember what film I picked, let alone why I love it. This next section will be fun. So, um, and for that next section, um, not coming from the BBFC, not censoring himself at all, is Chris Ellis with his pick for the best road horror, which is... Everyone everyone who knows me knows I love a completely over-the-top, splatterific, balls-to-the-wall, gore, flat-out, 100 miles an hour. No, you're wrong. What I love is an absolutely brilliantly slow-paced ghost story, and that is why 2007's Windchill is my pick for best road movie horror. If anyone hasn't seen this, because to be fair, it's I feel a criminally overlooked horror movie. We essentially have Emily Blunt as our lead in this. She is going home for the winter or for the Christmas holidays from college. She needs a ride back home and one of her college classmates agrees to take her back and actually give her that ride share back to the homestead 
along the way they have an unfortunate accident and then weird odd haunted supernatural things occur and Mercer's already had enough because I see he's turning his camera off he's gone that's it he's Mercer's done. gone Mercer's gone no not for me I am out done he literally has he has left fine <laughs> we were, fine we will do this without him <laughs> he's okay. back he's back he's, he's back it's fine so there's a lot of, there's a lot of things I love about Windchill the fact that it's a classic ghost story told extremely well. Emily Blunt's performance as the lead shows why she's a Hollywood A-lister that she is now. You've got to realise this was only a couple of early films into her career at this point, and she showed the qualities exactly what was going to lead to those big deals down the line. It's beautifully shot. There's a general sense of unease from the get-go over what exactly is going on. And it flips it halfway through. Originally, is it a, is a weird road trip slash stalker kind of thing going on? No, no, it isn't. It's a weird haunted road kind of thing going on. I see now we've also lost Mitch. No, Mitch is back. <laughs> I'm literally, I've introduced my film and everyone has left. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Um, yeah, Windchill. It's uh, it's not what I remembered. We discussed this at the time. Um, if I, again, spoilers. It gets. We, do you want to go straight to the end yet, or do you want to go through? No, let's let's start from the beginning. We'll go. Okay. We'll go. We'll go through. A very good that's, place that's, to start. And then that way, Mercer could just pick up thirty minute scene when he eventually comes back. I'm back. back. Oh, there he is. Sorry, I didn't see you. Desperately trying to like block this site so I'd never have to talk about Windchill. But no, I'm joking. Oh. <laughs> It. It's a great start. Emily Blunt does brilliantly because she plays the lead that at the start is so unlikable. She's horrible. She, 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 she leaves the fucking food behind for a start. That's she thinks it's perfectly criminal. acceptable to leave the food behind to make room for your suitcase. What a bitch. It's not even that. The fact is, when we first introduced to her, she is sitting in an exam hall with her phone vibrating. How no one turns around and goes, excuse me, your phone's going off in the middle of an exam. Also, just quick question. She acknowledges someone who she's messaging, but there's never a person who speaks to her. Like, what is that about? She, like, she looks over, she gives them a little point, uh, she does a little point at end at class, and I'm like, oh, she's speaking to you, she's crazy, there's nobody there. There's just, like there's just someone in the background that she's waving to. Do you, want an, do, you, do you want a 24 hour shot of her day when she's just interacting with everyone? <laughs> I want to see at least the acknowledgement that that person exists. Yeah, but it's, it's just to show that she's popular. That's all it's doing. It's not like forming yeah. friendships for five minutes of the film. No. So we established, <laughs> so we, we established as I say, her a kind of below par attitude, shall we say. But it's also, as I say, it's a really good setup at the start with the guy, the creepy stalker angle that you're not completely wrong footed you from the get-go until that half hour in where you're not quite sure where the film's going to go. And he is, he is a credible stalker. There's those little bits that are dropped, like the glasses reference when she says she only wears them around the dorm or the little half snatch conversation when they stop 
at the gas station and he's getting directions from the guy. I, I just, do you know, I don't like Emily Blunt's character in this film pretty much the whole way through. And I love Emily Blunt, but her character in this is just so shitty. She's horrible. Like She's having a full-on conversation with a friend. As they're driving, going, yeah, I'm so bored. Well, well, what do you want me to be entertained? You are getting a free ride. Yes, you're the entertainment. And I also think the problem with the character is that the arc that she has to take is it, it's forced upon her because of the situation she's put in. She has that section where she comes out there and says how she's alone, how she feels the need to act like a bitch to keep that way, and how people don't want to speak to her and don't love her because of her attitude and how vulnerable it makes her feel. So it's not if it's a complete U-turn out of nowhere. Again, I'm going to say, I don't believe it's just an act because she left the food. Like, <laughs> oh, leave food. I'm, I'm, st- I'm mad about the food. It sounded damn tasty, if I'm honest. And I'm really mad that she left it behind. To be fair, if I was him and I was a stalker and you realise sick, you go, oh, I've got six fucking hours of this. <laughs> you right. To kick her out, to go there, pull over, go off your truck, off your truck. I get that he was trying to impress her and stuff like that. And that's why he eventually advertised it to go on trip and he didn't know where he was going. But what kind of idiot in snowy situations decides to take an off-road route instead of just keep on going down the highway? What kind that's, of moron does that? That's clearly because the guy, when he goes to the gas station, says, oh, there's a shortcut. You go this way. And he doesn't know he doesn't know the route. Obviously, as soon as they turn off, she's immediately, do you actually know where you go? He's like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's scenic. He's got no idea. He doesn't. He doesn't deliberately go. Oh, you know what? I'm gonna. I'm gonna travel down this snowy embankment. I can see Mercer doing this a lot, so I'm thinking he wants in. Because normally I, I'm the one who speaks a lot, but you two tonight, Jesus, you've got a lot to say, ain't you? Don't fuck um, off for three minutes, then. It's this stupid computer. It keeps just like blanking me out, like I've done something wrong. Did you am. say he's wanking you out? Blanking, blanking. <laughs> Jesus. Oh. Nice. Um, what were I going to say? I have no idea what I was going to say. Oh, but I was going to say was um, the dude, Guy, because we don't know anyone's name in this film, do we? Um, the whole kind of like stalkery aspect. So I've said this before. Um, I felt like this film's journey was going where I didn't think it was, where it didn't go, which was I was under the impression that what they learned in psychology or a philosophy class about life repeating itself. I thought that's what was happening, which is why I thought that's why he took the road because, you know, they took that road once and they have to take that road again for the rest of the life because that's what happens. And then I also thought, and I, and honestly, I think like the, the red herrings at you in this film that let you believe that, like, the fact that she leaves the food. And when he describes the food, she's like, that is exactly what I would pick as my final meal. And like, he can't have learned all of that from just stoking her, right? Mm. Right? Well, For me, the entire film literally felt like, obviously it's a ghost story, but it felt like we were living, basically Emily Blunt had to learn a lesson about life and then she'd be dead. Uh, <laughs> Is what I thought was going to happen. I, I thought it was going to be a ghost thing. I thought it was going to be like it, it was just ghosts haunting them, which it does turn out to be. She's seeing what's happened on that road. But for anyone who, and I'm getting to this point now, it, for anyone who has seen Windchill, 
please comment what you thought the ending was because I totally forgot what the ending was and thought it was something completely different. I thought it was that she was dead as well. We and both, I rec- be fair, we, we both remember we both that as the ending. It. And we've both then, seen it separately as well. Yeah, but then I've looked online and I cannot find an alternative ending anywhere. So, Can I comment on what I thought the ending was? Yeah. yeah. I thought it was shy. Fucking shit. That ending was such a piece of actual shit rust into my eyeballs while I was watching it. But I honestly th- felt like I wanted to smash my own teeth at, break my television. <laughs> honestly, I was like, what the fuck is this shy? There's nothing that I hate more. And I think we've experienced this in the past. And a fucking ghost coming back and went, ew, I'll help you out. <laughs> I'm saying, do you envision all oh. ghosts being the ghost of John Inman? For anyone who doesn't know who John Inman is, Chris has just made a homophobic reference. Um, just saying. Uh, but legit, I'm just like, we've just gone through all this shit for a fucking ghost to walk you to safety. Go fuck yourself, film. Also, he loves her and he come he loves her and his ghost has come back from beyond the leader to safety. He doesn't even fucking know where he stalked her. That's not love. That's fucking a criminal offence. <laughs> well, what a surprise. Mercer doesn't like uh, Chris's pick. I know. <laughs> shocker. Listen, the pick's not bad. This never Emily, happens. Emily Blunt is pretty good in the film, let's be honest. They're like, her kind of breakdown when she starts breaking down is really, really kind of good. Some of the ghost stuff's quite good, and then it gets ruined by CGI. Um, what I don't get is this copper, like this patrolman, how he suddenly develops freezing powers. That like is a little bit confusing. And of all the people, why didn't the monks just fucking help him get away if they've not done anything wrong? They tried to help them. They were already dead when they arrived. They tried to revive them. No, they, no. Um, I mean, uh, guy and girl when they crash. Then monks rock up, yeah? Now, we know Guy and Gail aren't dead at this point, unfortunately. Um, they're still alive. So why didn't the monks at that point go, oh, look, we're monks, like, help these people, because, you know, we know how to get to the garage. No, they wait. <laughs> you make it sound like they're going down to garage for fucking Ginsburg's pasty in a fridge or something like that. We know how to get to garage. Listen, back in the day, the only reason you went to a garage on foot is because you were stoned and you needed something to eat. And that's true. So that's <laughs> Laura <funded>. agrees. <laughs> <laughs> but, but anyway, um, other than that, like other than the absolutely moronic fucking shit ending of this film, um, and her weird knowledge of things like, oh, if I climb up this telephone post, I can connect this phone in. Like, who knows that shit? Who actually knows that stuff? I do now by watching this film. And I'm sure she had watched a previous film where this was essential knowledge. Where someone was in a similar situation to her. Yeah, exactly. I imagine it was included in the paper that they taped across the windshield. Which kept disappearing, FYI. Do you know what would have been cool? What would have been actually cool, I think, is if when she discovered that paper, it weren't about them two young boys, but it were about her and him. That would have been kind of... See, that's... From my recollection, is exactly what it was. 
is in that yeah. weird way. I say I had a recollection that it came to the end, and the paper was essentially such and such died in car crash, and they were living it all. They were living it over and over and over again, and that was how it finished. I just want to get this right, Chris. So your recollection of the film... My recollection, it, my recollection of the ending was completely different to how it ends, yes. So your recollection is that it was a better film than it my is. Re- my recollection that th- is the ending was a better ending than, than it, it finishes on. So it's a shit ending. However, the rest of the film makes up for the less than ideal ending in these circumstances. <laughs> Look at you, though. You know, chlorine chlorine to get yourself out of this shit ending hall. Anyways. To summarise? To summarise. If, like Mercy, you love shit endings. No. If, like me, you love classic ghost storytelling with an absolutely brilliant performance from a emerging Emily Blunt, some nice slow burn ghost story on a nice wintry evening as we have now, you can pick many, many worse films than this as your ideal road horror. Uh, Mitch, you're a mule, so whatever you've been trying to say. Just... <laughs> I'm not sure Mitch has even watched the film at this point. He has weighed in not at all. Because <laughs> he's been a mule. Gen- genuinely thought everyone was being fucking rude. <laughs> just... <laughs> I was saying stuff and then people were just talking over. So. Oh mate. Would you like would you like to give your would you like to give your quick one minute one minute opinion on Winchell then, Mitch? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because I yeah. love you, because I love you, Chris. I think it's best <laughs> that I don't. Um, <laughs> so that was four road horrors. Um, how can people vote for their favourite? Get yourself onto Twitter. We'll put out a poll and decide in those four. Which one you want to vote for? Darren, vote for mine, maybe, for a change. Just saying. Well, Gaskell uh, hasn't voted for mine for about eight months, so <laughs> if, he wants, if he wants to weigh in, Wednesday, the episode should come Wednesday? out on Tuesday. The poll will come out on Wednesday, so you can feel free to vote on either. The poll will be out on Twitter. We'll put a post out on Facebook. You can comment on that, or Instagram as well. It will be on there, so feel free to comment on there. <laughs> Darren's just said don't look further up the comments so I'm not feeling confident if I'm honest <laughs> I lost all the comments because it took me out so um, you say you've been kicked out I think you've just been going to get more wine but my wine's here why would where would I need to go to get more wine secret so, wine um interesting episode I think you need to learn to calm your tits, fair, because obviously you get a little bit too agitated throughout. Uh, Chris needs to learn to pick some good films. And um, I am Nick, winning, winning with picking fan favourites. Um, also, I reckon it's a probably don't forget to uh, obviously vote, um, but don't forget to kind of like just hook us, hook us up. Don't hook up with us. Um, <laughs> we're not them kind of girls. Um, Think for yourself. <laughs> To kind of like just, you know, hook up with us, but not in a sexual way on social media. You can find us at Spit Grades on both Twitter and Instagram. I spit on your grades on Facebook. Or if you'd like to email us for any reason to hook up with Mercer, maybe, you can email us at electricpossums at gmail.com. 
seriously and if you just search for me personally you want to slide into my dms that's absolutely cool i'm happy with that i've got a long-term partner though so we have to be secret but, you can go you can google mercer it brings up some horrific images but you can google him it is true try it john is what i mercer is what i'd always call as pre only fans <laughs> <laughs> That's like the benchmark. That's the watermark in time. What? What's Mercer? Oh, he's pre-only fan. <laughs> you, you can find him on something. You can find him on a corner. <laughs> <laughs> right now, I'm just in my house. But... That sounds like an invitation, if you ask me. I'm in my house. Don't I'm just all on my own. Oh. I've drank half a bottle of wine. <laughs> I'm stuck under a bed. <laughs> so i mean we can do two things now we can open up to everyone else if people would like to for for 15 minutes or so um or we could reconvene at 11 30 11 20 11 30 after the next film um for our after party I'm good for either, to be honest with you, because I will definitely be at the after party. And if people aren't at the after party this time, I'm going to be well upset. I will too, motherfucker. <laughs> so, um, right, okay, I'm going to unmute everybody if you so wish to. But obviously, you can mute yourself if you want to, or or, or delete yourself if you so wish. Um, now uh, we'll stay on for like fifteen minutes, and then I'll fuck off because I have to, um, and you'll fuck off because you have to. All right, then let's let's make this messy. Unmute them. They're unmuted. You are free. Fly, my pretty. <laughs> 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 <laughs>